Would you please open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 18? Matthew chapter 18. And today we continue our journey through the doctrine of forgiveness, the question of when. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be reading verses 15 through 20. So if you can stand, would you please stand? Here's the word of the Lord. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there Am I among them? You may be seated. Father, we, we ask you the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. Uh, many of you remember the trial, the, I think about three or four years ago, with uh, Larry Nasser. Remember Larry, Larry Nasser? He was the the doctor, he was the main doctor of the U.S. gymnastic Olympic team. Do you remember that there was his trial, I think three, four years ago. Uh, he was convicted of several accounts of first-degree criminal sexual contact, was sentenced to up to 175 years in prison, a nasty, diabolic man. Uh, and one of the the main... characters in this trial was a woman named Rachel Den Hollander. Rachel Den Hollander, she, she's a Christian. She is a member of a Reformed Baptist church. and uh, She's the f- main one bringing and gathering the, all the accusations. And, and during the trial, uh, after you, you, you read about this nasty, diabolic man, the worst thing is that he would carry his Bible around. He would pretend to be a Christian as he was doing heinous, satanic things to little girls. Uh, and it, during the trial, she, she, she talks to Larry Nasser, Rachel. She talks to Larry Nasser, and she says to him, she, she's mentioning that he's talking about forgiveness in the Bible. She says... Larry, if you have read the Bible that you carry, you know that forgiveness does not come from doing good things, as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done 
in all its utter depravity and horror, without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if your good deeds can er erase what you have seen and heard from the other ladies in this courtroom. And then she says, I pray, I pray that you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. She has a powerful testimony. Powerful, sound, biblical. But the question is, should she be extending forgiveness to a man who has not repented? She clearly believes that he has not repented because she says, I pray that you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance. The question is, should she be extending forgiveness? She just said that she's hoping that one day he will repent so he can experience God's forgiveness. And then she says, I extend forgiveness to you. And we often see that, especially in court cases, where you have people who committed nasty crimes, and especially Christians, they stand up during the trial, the court, and they say, I just want to say I forgive you. And we all cry. We all think it's beautiful. But is that biblical? Is, is that the gospel? Is that what God commands us to do? To forgive people unconditionally. And that's what we're going to continue looking at as, as we journey through the when. When to forgive. When to grant forgiveness upon someone. So, here's the outline of today and, and we're going to continue next Lord's Day uh, the when part has three parts we look at first two Sundays ago the when does God forgive the sinner and today we move to part two dealing with the Christian forgiving one another so the last sermon we had on this topic the question was when does God forgive the sinner and we saw that it's overwhelming, the biblical evidence, that God never forgives unrepentant sinners. Is there anybody in heaven who has not repented of his sins? And we saw how God's initial, God's initial or judicial forgiveness requires confession and repentance. And how... The continue of our relationship requires repentance to receive forgiveness. So, for example, in Acts, we see in Acts chapter 2, and that's the initial, that's justification, that's sinners who are crying out, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to for, for the forgiveness of your sins. So here he's talking to unbelievers. Repent and you receive forgiveness. And then in 1 John 1.9, talking to Christians who are already justified, those who are already forgiven, 
John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the initial and then the continual relationship with God requires repentance for God to bestow forgiveness on us. We saw how God's forgiveness through from Genesis to Revelation is always conditional. There is nobody in heaven that has not repented, confessed his sins, and received pardon from God to be with him. So, now we move to the next part, and that's important. We spend a whole sermon exploring that. That's so crucial. How God forgives us, when God forgives us. Because when we move to the Christian act of forgiving one another, Paul tells us, be kind to one another, tender heart, forgiving one another. How? Yes, as God in Christ forgave you. So, the question of when, when does a Christian ought to forgive, when, when a Christian must forgive one another, we must be taken back to God. When does God forgive? And I need to imitate Him. So, the question of when has other sub-questions, and that's what I want to explore. And the first one is, when to confront a sinner? When shall we confront the sinner? Our Lord Jesus is very clear. He says, in Luke's chapter, Luke chapter 17, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, what? Rebuke him. Or Matthew 18, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell me his fault. It's a parallel, these two passages. So there's clear command to rebuke. When, when to forgive, there are times when I must rebuke in order to be able to forgive. No, notice that Jesus is talking about sins. When your brother sins, if your brother sins again. And that's important. When to rebuke a brother or sister in Christ? When there is sin. That's so important. When there is sin. A sin is first of all an offense against whom? God. First of all, sin is an offense against God himself, the triune God. So, brothers and sisters, when it's time to rebuke a brother or sister in Christ because of sin, your heart must be broken because that brother, that sister has sinned not against you primarily. Your feelings are not hurt because how dare she sin against me. But because you are broken that she or he has sinned against the Lord. And you want to go and see that brother or sister restored to God, first of all. That's so crucial. Forgiveness of sins implies that sin was committed against God, and of course us. But first of all, that sin was committed against our holy Savior and Lord. The problem is that sin loves to magnify offenses against us. So any sort of thing that hurts my feeling suddenly becomes a massive sin against the God of the universe. And that's why we must be careful because sin always magnifies things for our benefit. I become God. That's what sin always wants. You to become God. So we need to be sober mind, think about things, uh, Charlie says, 
The Bible doesn't give us permission to confront people unless we can identify the ways in which they have actually sinned against us and against the Lord. So, if a brother sins and you believe you ought to rebuke that brother or sister, you must be able to identify the sin. How is the sin here? How, this, how did this brother sin against the Lord, first of all? Amen? And that's a massive step in helping us realize when to confront, when to overlook. I, I see people being annoyed by Bible translation. I can't believe you're quoting the NIV. I can't believe you don't use the NASB. I can't believe, so people get annoyed by that. Or people get annoyed by the hymns we sing. Or some people get frustrated because you didn't remember my birthday. The time of the service. Offended because somebody forgot to put you in the schedule. Offended because someone put you in the schedule when you asked not to be in the schedule. Offended because use PowerPoint. Or because you don't use PowerPoint. So there are so many things that people take as offense. And, and you say, hey, how is that a sin against the Lord, first of all? Amen? First thing, how is that a sin against the Lord? That's so crucial. Let's suppose Jeff has a nice mug. He brings you to church. I'm walking. Uh, I don't see, I kick the mug, precious mug, broke into pieces. That's called an accident. Amen? And that certainly will make Jeff frustrated. He loved that mug. But that doesn't mean I sin against him. Amen? And especially with kids. Kids are always breaking our special things. Isn't that true? <laughs> and they look at me like, <laughs> with that <laughs> glare there, how dare you say that. We don't break anything special at home. I remember breaking my parents' special things. Soccer ball inside the house. It's like. So, we, we need to be aware of these things. You know, some, sometimes you're late. And you were late because on the way there was an accident, something happened, you're not planning on that. That's an accident. It's just, it's not a sin. But once your life is marked by always being late, then that's a sin. Because you're lacking respect with people's schedules. So, so those are important things to keep in mind as we are thinking about when to rebuke, when to confront someone. So, first of all, there must be sin. We must be able to define the sin, the sin with biblical language. Not just, oh, you annoyed me. Oh, you hurt my feelings. How? How was that a sin against the Lord? Be able to describe how the sin was, first of all, an offense against the Holy God. So, Doriani says in Matthew 18.5, The topic is not hurt feelings. It's not annoying behavior. The topic is sin. And sin is a violation against God's moral standards, not against my personal standards. And we have different standards, right? Some of us have a really high standard. 
Others have a real low standard. Uh, and the question is, is this person violating God's standards? Amen? Well, Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, what? Rebuke him. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. So we have this holy duty when it's the time to go and rebuke, confront a brother and sister in love, in Christ. Amen? The thing is, not, we're going to see soon, but not every sin that a person commits is going to require rebuke. I remember MacArthur saying a while ago, he said, if every fault required formal confrontation, the whole of our church life would be spent confronting and resolving conflicts over petty annoyances. So, when shall I confront a brother and sister in Christ? You've got to have wisdom. You've got to have wisdom. Is the sin scandalous? Is that sin bringing shame and dishonor to God's name? Is that sin bringing shame to the church? Some sins, even when committed once, are so powerful that contaminate the whole body. Some sins bring division to the church, and they must be confronted. So the New Testament gives some sins that must be confronted, and others will require the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives us in applying God's Word. Or will this sin cause my brother to harm his own relationship with the Lord? Will this sin harm our relationship? That's when it's time to rebuke or confront someone. Another question of when is when to ask for forgiveness. And that's important. When must I ask for forgiveness? It's important because it's forgiveness of sins. So we, you must make sure that there is sin involved. And what happens is if we ask for forgiveness... When there is no sin, when there is no repentance, we are cheapening, we are making something cheap of something that's very precious. We ought not to be using the word, please forgive me, when there is no sin, when there is no conviction of sin, and when there is no repentance. J. Adams writes, To ask for forgiveness... When you have done nothing wrong, with that all too frequent appendage, oh, if I did or said anything, is an abuse of the process of forgiveness. When you ask for forgiveness, be very sure that it's out of repentance over sin. To ask for forgiveness is always an admission of sin. And sometimes we are tempted to please other people because ultimately people pleasers are self-pleasers, Right? People pleasers are always self-pleasers. So sometimes you want to please someone, there is a conflict, and you have not sinned, but in order to bring some, please forgive me, please, please forgive me. W wait a second. If you have not sinned, if there is no sin, if there is no repentance, why are you using this beautiful means that God has given us in a way that's inappropriate? So when to ask for forgiveness? When there is sin. Amen? And when there is sin, there must be repentance, and then there is must confession and asking for forgiveness. Uh, now we see 
often taking place. People want to please somebody else. It's just, oh, please forgive me. What's, what, what was the sin? Oh, I just don't want the relationship to get bad, you know. That's not good. You're harming even more the relationship by doing that. Another one, and that's important, when to overlook a sin. We saw that the Bible commands us to rebuke and confront a brother or sister in Christ. But then shall I rebuke and confront every brother, every sister because of every sin? Shall I rebuke and confront every brother and every sister because of every sin? We cannot live if we, if we do that. Remember MacArthur's quote, if, if, if the, that's the life of the church, we're lost. Before coming, becoming offended and feeling like we were ter- terribly sinned against, we must pause and examine the situation with sobriety, the help of the Holy Spirit. There are many, many situations that if we had just paused, Ask the Lord to help us. We would not be that offended. And we would be able to overlook. That's what Peter tells us. Look at 1 Peter 4.8. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Isn't that interesting? That the Bible commands us to love. Some people say, you cannot command me to love. Yes, love is an action. It's not a feeling. Oh, there are feelings in love, yes. But it's primarily an action that God commands us. And not any sort of love. Look at that. Above all, keeping loving one another, how? Earnestly. Earnestly. Not any sort of love, but loving earnestly. The NIV says, love each other deeply. The word was used for someone stretching himself. So sometimes it's used for a sailor lowering the anchor. Wearsby says it speaks of eagerness and intensity. Christian love is something that we have to work at. Just the way an athlete works on his skills. It's not a matter of emotional feeling, though that is included. But of dedicated will. A dedication of the will. And as we look at, at Peter's words and look at the New Testament, the whole scriptures we see... There is a requirement of a lot of love on our part to live together. Amen? Or those, all of us here have families, and you know how much love requires to live with family members. Amen? And the same in the church. It takes a great measure of love to live the Christian life. That's why the Lord commands us not just to love with a cold love, but to love one another earnestly. It's a deep love. And those who love much will forgive much. Those who love much will cover much. That's why Peter commands us. He says that love covers a multitude of sin. And I think Peter is taking us back. I believe Peter is alluding to Proverbs 10.12. Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Meaning hate loves to... Get strife, roused up, waking, love on the opposite, brings the blanket and just puts you sleep that strife. It's like, all right, no, 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 let's calm down here. 
And that's what Peter is telling us. Love covers a multitude of sin. And remember, Peter is not saying that there is no sin that cannot be confronted. There is no sin that does not require church discipline. You, you always need to read the scriptures in context. What he's saying is that there are many sins. There is a multitude of sins that can be covered by love. We always stumble in many ways. Amen? We all sin against one another. And the closer we live, the closer we are to each other, the more we see one another's faults, failures, weakness, sins. Isn't that true? The more hospitable our hearts become to welcome one another, the more we see one another's weaknesses. That's how it is. And Peter says that we will experience what? A multitude of sins. A multitude of sins. Some of you guys have been walking with me for almost 10 years in church. And there is no way that I have not sinned against you. Some of you have been walking with me for months and I have sinned against you. And that's part of a relationship. The more we spend time together, the closer our relationship is, the more we will sin against one another. That's part of life. Look at family. Right? And the same with the church family. So, what shall we do? Peter tells us, use the blankets of love. Very often you're going to need to cover that. And I believe also Peter is alluding and taking us back to Proverbs 17.9. Proverbs 17.9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Or Proverbs 19.11, Good sense, Proverbs 19.11, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. And the word for glory here is, could be referring to an ornament that was beautiful. A beautiful ornament that you're placing around your neck or a garment that's beautiful. And that's true. People who are quick to overlook sins, to cover sins, they're beautiful people. In contrast to people who are always bitter, angry, and always ready to confront every single thing, that's not Cute? That's not beautiful. Amen? So that's the contrast that Peter is placing here. So Peter tells us, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So as we walk together as a church, as we spend time together, as we open our hearts to one another, we will see, brothers and sisters, a, a multitude of virtues in each other, a multitude of blessings as I have been walking with you through all these years, I have been experiencing a multitude of blessings from you. Virtues, love. But it doesn't stop there. We have not been glorified yet. So we will also experience a multitude of sins against one another. The only way to escape that is to live a selfish life where you lock your heart you close your heart, you don't welcome anybody, a selfish life where you have no space for other people to come so you can love, be loved, hurt, and be hurt by, 
And that's not the Christian life. So, remember, there are many times when we will use the blankets of love. I believe that most often in our lives, what we do is we cover one another's sin. And that's not forgiving. There is no transaction. That's unilateral. That's unconditional. I'm just placing that blanket of love so our relationship can keep going. Imagine a family where one of the spouse is constantly, constantly rebuking, reproving any sins, failures that takes place. You cannot live like that. There is no way to live with kids, with a spouse. We need to learn to be patient, kind, and oftentimes just put a blanket there. Otherwise, you cannot live. And the same in the church. Uh, so, when to overlook an offense? After examining yourself, do to others whatever you want them doing to you. When the brother or sister does not show a life pattern of this kind of behavior, oftentimes you can. If there is not a life pattern of behavior, think about what's going on with that brother or sister. Let's suppose Lee is going through a hard time with the family, the kids didn't sleep well, you know that he's struggling. And suddenly he's impatient, he sins against you, says something that was rude to Sam. And Sam will take that into consideration. You know, no, I know what Lee's going through. He's going through a hard time. He never says things like that to me. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to put a blanket right here. I'm going to embrace him because that's what I would like him to do to me. When I'm weak, and I sin, and there is no life pattern there. So, those are things for us to think through. Uh, J. Adams, he writes, God has provided a means for handling the multitude of offenses that we commit against one another. But it's not forgiveness. It's only those sins which throw the covers off that must be dealt with. Those offenses that break fellowship and lead to an unreconciled condition require forgiveness. Otherwise, we simply learn to overlook a multitude of offenses against ourselves, recognizing that we are all sinners and that we must gratefully thank others for covering our sins as well. So I pray that we would be a church marked by many blankets, the blankets of love where we can cover a multitude of sins that we commit against one another. Amen? And now, let's move to the number four here. When to grant forgiveness. Paul says, Be kind to one another, tender heart, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So that's so crucial. We see that when, when are we called to forgive? We must look to the Lord and see when He forgives sinners. So, Jesus says, 
Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he what? repents, then you do what? Forgive him. Or Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, what? You have gained your brother. It's the parallel. You have been reconciled. There was repentance. Now you too can be reconciled. So our Lord clearly places conditionality upon our forgiveness of one another. That's very important. Uh, what I want to do is just walk through Matthew 18.15 this morning. So please turn your Bibles there to Matthew 18.15. This whole verse is here from, 18 through, from verse 15 through 18. You have five conditional sentences there. If your brother sins, if he listens, if he does not listen, if he refuses to listen, if he refuses to listen to the church. So there's these conditions here that the Lord is placing before us. So Matthew 18.15, I think that's... A vital text in understanding when to grant forgiveness. Look at what the Lord says. If your brother... Who is the brother here? Yes. He's referring to the church family. Another brother in Christ. If your brother... thats He's talking about relationships in the church. And the if here... If your brother... We could translate as whenever. Whenever your brother sins against you. Because that will take place. And when it's serious, he's talking about, look at that. If your brother sins against you, Jesus is dealing with substantial sins in the body that cannot and must not be covered. Jesus does not say if your, bo- if your brother annoys you, if your brother irritates you by the way he chew his gum. No. The topic sin, serious and damaging sins in the body. So if your brother sins against you, what do you do? Go and tell him his fault. Jesus commands us to go to him. I like what Doriani says. He says, most Christians act as if Jesus said, sit and soak. Or... Tell someone else about it and hope they carry the news that you are offended back to the source. Or act cold and withdraw until they guess that you are offended. Jesus says, go, take your responsibility. Too often we consult with eight people about the best way to address the problem. Or we make pseudo-pious prayer requests. Oh, Lord... Would you please forgive so-and-so for that sin that he committed against me? No. Or you go to different people. I just need your wisdom here. Ten different people to get the wisdom to deal with something that's very simply stated in the Bible. What you're doing, you're trying to gather a club around you to support you. So the Lord says, you go to him alone and you tell him his Fault. Tell him his fault. The word here is related to convicting one of sins. Was related to the realm of investigation and inquiry. So investigation comes first. So yes, there is a sin. Therefore, I need to reprove, to rebuke that brother and sister. So we have a duty, a gracious duty of rebuke and reproving, disciplining a brother who has sinned. And look how he says, 
Go and tell his fault between you and him alone. This whole process here is not to embarrass the brother or sister. First of all, is to bring him back. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he's teaching the church to have pastoral skills, all the members. You go to him alone. You keep this matter private. You don't want to embarrass. You don't want to publicize before the time. So you go to him alone. And of course, there are situations when the sin is corporate, the sin is public, and there is no need to go one-on-one. So when the sin is public, when the sin is committed a whole group of people, there is no need to go one-on-one. And we see P- uh, Paul doing that with Peter. He rebuked Peter in front of all, Galatians says. In the letter. He rebuked Peter in front of all because the sin was public. He was avoiding to eat with the other ones. And Paul rebuked him in front of all. You have Paul rebuking publicly two ladies in the church in Philippi. Why? Because their sin was public. That's very important. False teachers are openly and publicly rebuked throughout the letters of the New Testament. Why? Because this sin is a public sin. It's against a group of people. So, but most instances require the one-on-one. Amen? Most time it's going to require just the one-on-one, first of all. And every single member has the duty, the privilege, and responsibility of seeking the offender on a one-on-one. Failure to follow Jesus' instruction in this area often causes terrible damage in the church. Unnecessarily involving others can destroy friendship and divide the church. So let us obey the Lord. Amen? If someone sin, if you saw someone sinning, maybe, let's suppose you go to a a, a family from the church, you go to their home, and then you see one of the spouses, you see the, the husband treating the, the wife or the kids in a sinful way. You have the duty to come to him alone and say, hey, the way you're treating your spouse, your kids, that was sinful. We're being angry, impatient, not gentle. We have this duty as members of the body. You don't come to someone else. Oh, I can't believe. I was at so-and-so's house. And man, he was yelling at the kids, slapping his wife in the face. No, you go to the person one-on-one. It is hard, but it's God's means. And it's always good and brings blessing to the church. And then he says, if your brother, and then if he listens to you, and the listen here, a cool, the, the, the meaning here has of taking to heart. You're listening and obeying. You are acting to all you heard. Okay? It's not just a listening. Oh, I hear you. Yeah, can imagine. <laughs> Ruth comes to me. Guga. Man, you, you sin against the Lord. You sin against me, the way you treated us, the way you spoke to me. Oh, I hear you, Ruth. 
Thank you. Is that listening? Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry you feel that way. No, to listen here is to, please forgive me. I sinned against the Lord. I sinned against you. I should not have treated you like that. That's what listening means. You repent and you confess your sins. That's the meaning of listening here. And then if he listens to you, what happens? You have gained your brother. That's why it's so important, the parallel with Luke chapter 17. If you rebuke him and he repents, you forgive. The same thing we see here. You go, you tell him his fault. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You brought him back to Christ. You brought him back to you, to a relationship that's going to glorify the Lord. But oh, notice, when do you gain the brother? When do you gain him? When he listens, when he repents, then you gain the brother. There is no gaining of the brother unless what? He repents. He listens. That's so vital because the next verses we're going to see next Lord's Day is what happens if he does not listen? Have you gained the brother? No, that's when you, you withhold forgiveness. You withhold the gaining. There is no gaining. There is no repentance. And here we see how forgiveness is not simply for your personal well-being. We, we hear so much that forgiveness is all about you. You need to forgive so you can feel better about yourself. You need just to forgive and let go so you can grow. Chris Brown, he says, If forgiveness were something that happened only within a person, then Matthew 18, 15 through 20 would not be necessary. Believers could work through forgiveness privately. But Jesus thought that forgiveness is something that happens between two parties. And you can see clearly that for the transaction of forgiveness to take place, there must be the conditionality of repentance. Even among brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're taking note, I encourage you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. We see the same pattern. There was a man in the church in Corinth. He sinned. He was talking bad about Paul. He was sinning against Paul. Paul says, that sin was just not against me. That sin was against the whole church. And now, Paul had told them to reprove him, rebuke him. And Paul says, all right, that's enough. He has repented. Now it's time for you guys to embrace him back. There was repentance. Now let's embrace him back. So, remember, the other teachings, when you're going through the scriptures, and then you're going to come to passages where it says, just forgive your brother. Forgive. There is no conditionality. What do you do? You always interpret that one in light of the other teachings. So if there are teachings in the Bible where you see, and just mentioning, you just forgive. you got to understand that the other teachings of the Bible are informing us that we must have what? A condition to forgive. That's what people do, for example, with the question of uh, divorce and remarriage. So they go to Matthew 5. On Matthew 5, there is no conditionality. It just says, if you divorce your wife, you can no longer marry. 
But there are other texts in the scriptures where there is. There is exceptions. So what do you do? You just go to that teaching? No, you go to the other ones and you let the whole teaching of the Bible inform you, your understanding. Amen? So the same with forgiveness. So sometimes people love to get texts where, oh, Stephen, Stephen was praying. Amen? He was praying. He was not even forgiving people. Oh, there's this text here where it says, I, I don't see any repentance here. Yeah, but the majority, the overwhelming teaching of the scriptures require repentance. So, you need to interpret that text in light of the other texts. Amen? And some people will say, but, but this conditionality, condition will just make people bitter. It's an excuse for having people be bitter and angry. That's not true at all. That's not true at all. As if the person who can just stand and forgive unilateral, unconditionally, is free from bitterness. Right? Th that's the idea. If you say, I forgive you, without repentance, without reconciliation, without any biblical process, suddenly you don't have any bitterness. No, there are a lot of people who say, oh, I forgive you. And they're full of bitterness anyways. So it's, a, it's a matter of the heart. And this condition here, the conditionality of repentance, is not so we can uh, just be bitter and angry. No, it's to reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. The whole point is to reflect the gospel. The whole process is to gain the brother. To gain the brother, that was a, a financial word of making profit. And that's the idea. You made the greatest profit. There was, was worth the investment of time, the investment of emotions. And now you gain the brother. And forgiveness we see is not an end in itself so you can feel good. But it's to gain the brother, to have the relationship restored. So, don't ever accept when people say, oh, this conditionality of forgiveness is just to let people be bitter and angry. No, it's to reflect the gospel. The gospel imposes conditionality on forgiveness. People need to repent. Who are we now to start dispensing forgiveness without repentance? That perverts the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, as we come towards the end here, honestly, there are so many things. Do you see how hard it is to unpack this whole theme of forgiveness? And honestly, brothers and sisters, we need to follow Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, and walk in step with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. That's the only way. As we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit is within us. He will give us wisdom. He will produce a crop of love, gentleness, patience with one another. Amen? And that's all we need. We need that. Because a lot of times people want a list. Give me a list. Give me a list when to confront. Give me a list of offenses and sins that I need to overlook. We cannot do that. We can't provide a list. The scriptures don't provide a list. Yeah, there are sins that they mention that require the rebuke, the confrontation. But there are other sins that they don't mention there. Why? We need to depend on the Lord. His wisdom. The wisdom of other brothers and sisters. Amen? So, going back to Rachel Den Hollander that we opened the sermon with. 
when she said to you, she was so right when she said to Larry Nasser, I pray that you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me. Beautifully stated. But I believe she should, she should have stopped there and not said, I extend you forgiveness. Because we are to imitate God. A better way of saying it would be, and, when, and if God grants you forgiveness, if God grants you repentance, then who am I to withhold? Because God is infinitely more holy than I am. And if He grants you repentance and forgiveness, then I'll be ready to forgive you. But until then, I cannot. And I will not. Because that's a perversion of the gospel. But my heart is open and ready. You see, when to grant forgiveness, when to bestow forgiveness, when there is repentance. And that's no excuse to be bitter. Actually, we show the gospel. I'm ready to forgive you. I'm ready to forgive you. But you need to be broken. You need to repent. Otherwise, that perverts the gospel of my Lord. Because just like my Lord, He's ready. His arms are wide open, wide open. When you repent, He will embrace you. And I follow my Master. When you repent, I will embrace you. So, may the Lord help us. May the Lord help us to be a church factory full of blankets. Blankets made with love, ready to cover a multitude of offenses. May the Lord give us wisdom to show the beauty of the gospel and the power of the gospel. Let us not make forgiveness of sin something that is beneficial for me. So I can feel better. I will forgive no matter what so I can feel better. That's, that's, not, that's not what the word commands us. Amen. So Father, we, we humbly come before you and we ask you for wisdom. You promise us that you love to give us wisdom. You tell us to ask, and we are asking as a church. This topic is complex and requires your grace and your mercy. So help us. I pray that you help us as a church to be a forgiving church, always mindful of how much we have been forgiven by you. Help us to be faithful to the gospel. Help us in all that we do to strive to show the beauty of the gospel of Christ. And especially in this area of forgiveness, Lord. I thank you for the love in this church, the love of these members. Often, very often, quickly to cover a multitude of sins and I pray that you continue helping us Lord helping us with discernment when it's time to cover when it's time to confront but always with grace gentleness humility 
knowing how much you have forgiven us, how much you have been gracious towards us, how patient you have been towards us. So help us for the glory of your name. 